Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Hey, thanks for you, Kevin. I really love you guys. And uh, I, 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 there's a witness in our hearts that's so important that it, it resonates in lives around us that God can break chains, that God can create freedom. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about church family. It's our series, but specifically today we're going to be talking about trust. Uh, so trust is a, a, a fun one. Uh, and I actually haven't really heard a lot of sermons about uh, you know trust and what it looks like with people. I'm sure there have been sermons about it, uh, but today we're going to tackle the trust topic uh, in a church family and in relationships. Uh, it's going to be an exciting one, I think, uh, and uh, I think you'll like it. Uh, and if you don't like it, I still love you. You know what I mean? I'm still here with you, and you're here with me. So we're going to be talking about trust. And uh, and when you look at the word, if you do a, a word search for trust in the Bible, you're going to actually see just a tremendous amount of scriptures uh, that aren't talking about trusting people. But the bulk of, if not most of, the scriptures are going to be talking about trusting God. This is the interesting thing about trust and the mechanism of trust is it's, it's, it's unique. It's not the same thing as saying I love someone. To say I love them like God loves them is different than saying I trust them. Uh, so we have to separate forgiveness, love, and trust from the, the expression with each other. Uh, love is our calling from God. It's so clear. We preach tons of messages in this place about it. We're called to love like Jesus loves, which his standard of love is perfect and it's unconditional. This can be incredibly inconvenient at times. We're not going to preach on love today, but I am going to make a statement that loving someone like Jesus loves them is not the same thing as trusting them. So you love somebody without condition, but that doesn't mean you trust them without condition. And we're going to study and we're going to identify through Scripture today that, that trust is actually built on trustworthiness, and it should be defined by wisdom, and it should be defined by trustworthiness. So to the degree you trust somebody, uh, it's not unconditional. Uh, it's actually based on uh, merit. It's based on character. It's based on trustworthiness. So we're going to explore those things today, but I've got a few scriptures to set the foundation of this thing, which would be a trust in the Lord. Psalms 4, 5 says, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Psalms 9, 10 says, And those who know your name, Put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 27, uh, which is a lot of people's favorite, which is some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. How many of you guys love that one? Amen. There's many more that we can read on this, and honestly, I could have pulled, I could have been reading trust in the Lord's scriptures this whole time. Uh, they're, they're everywhere, they're thick, they're robust, there's a ton of them. The primary thesis of our biblical understanding of trust is trust in the Lord. So the first thing we've got to recognize is that when it comes to church family, trust issue dynamics and things like that, we're going to find wisdom on what it looks like to identify how to trust somebody and where to trust them and how to trust them. But most important, foundationally for ourselves, is that the only person that gets explicit and full trust in all things is the Lord. So he should have our trust. Foundationally speaking, he should have it. 
And it should be absolute. There should be no shade of mistrust between us and the Lord. The objective in relationship with God is He has all of our trust. He has all of our life. It's part of the surrender path with God that we learn through surrender to trust Him with everything. To trust Him with our emotions, to trust Him with our past, our present, our future, to trust Him with our loved ones, to trust Him with the resources and assets of our life, to trust us with the healing process and pain, to trust Him with truth, to trust Him with love, to trust Him with all of our lack and all of our surplus. So this is what it looks like in relationship with God. First and foremost, if you trust in people, in the resources of man, in, in the proverbial chariots of your life, uh, if you trust in those things more than you do God, then this is the very first step of any understanding of wisdom and trust will be to repent of that expression. To take your primary foundation of trust away from people and bring it to God. Does everyone have is a clarity on this first foundation of trust? Amen. We trust in the Lord. That's the foundation. Because when we go on to move on to see what it looks like, do we trust people? How much do we trust them? When do we trust them? Should anybody get all of our trust? Should I trust anyone with my soul or my heart? There's a lot of questions we should have after that foundational trust in the Lord with everything. And then there's people, right? So there's a consideration of people. And so I like to look at how Jesus operated with this. And you can see in John 2, 23 through 25, Jesus makes a statement here that's going to be important for us to understand. And so, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So you have believers that saw signs, they believed in him. Uh, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Isn't that fun? He's like, here's why you're not trustworthy. Uh, at times, because look, hey, you're man. You're a human being. So I like this because it actually reveals to me the parts of me that are going to struggle to be trustworthy and the parts of others that are going to struggle to be trustworthy. And those are the parts that are unlike God. So you can truly understand how much you should trust somebody according to how much they are reflective of the nature of God. To the degree that you and I express godliness will actually determine our measure of trustworthiness we can carry into leadership, into family, into community, into friendships. So the amount you and I are expressing God's nature and character is actually the amount that we can learn to trust one another. Oh, that's a trustworthy trait. That's a trustworthy conviction and behavior. That's a trustworthy dynamic that I can measure, that I can see, that I can observe, and I can learn according to the reality of who they are that they are trustworthy in these specific ways. Because in reality, there's... There's nuance to this trust dynamic. Like, do you, do you trust uh, a preschool teacher to teach preschool kids? Perhaps, and probably, it would depend on each individual preschool teacher. Maybe you don't trust them to do it well. But the, the question after that would be, well, do you trust that preschool teacher to drive the school bus? And the question, or the answer is probably, maybe not. Maybe you know they're a bad driver, so it's not a good idea. You trust them to teach the preschool classroom, but not necessarily drive all those preschool kids in a bus. 
And so there's difference and there's nuance and we have to differentiate where we trust somebody and where we don't trust somebody. And it can be as simple as measuring their competency. Are they competent in Like I would trust my wife with my life. But I wouldn't necessarily trust her with my iPhone. You know what I mean? Technology's a struggle for her. And maybe she'd tell you the same thing. So it's not necessarily going to be the gift for me to be like, you know what? I trust you explicitly even to back up my data on the cloud. It's, it's amazing. Like the TV was supposedly broken, right? I get home and then the TV's not broken. You know what I mean? And it's like you trust in a differentiated way according to somebody's competence, somebody's ability. Uh, and so that's got to be measured. It's got to be understood. Or else we're really going to have a hard time partnering well with one another if we do the typical Christian generalizations, which is like, hey, I love you, so I trust you with anything. Well, that's just not wisdom. You should trust somebody according to their trustworthiness. If you trust somebody in a place that they are untrustworthy, that's just not wise. So this is never permission for us to not forgive and not love. Identifying trust to be defined by wisdom and measures of trustworthiness it's never permission for us to go, well, I just don't love you because you can't, you, you hurt me, you broke me, you did these things, and you're untrustworthy in them, so I'm going to remove love and forgiveness from this dynamic. Scripturally, it's so clear that's just not how God calls us to operate. We forgive everything. This is a non-negotiable. We forgive. A non-negotiable is we love. These are non-negotiables in scriptures. There's no shade of difference between one and the other. This is a God standard. You love and you forgive. Now, love and forgiveness are different than trust. So you don't trust according to the same standards you love and forgive. You trust according to somebody's merit of character. Their ability to have competency, honesty, reliability. These are three solid measures of somebody's trustworthiness. Are they competent in it? Are they honest? Are they reliable? Because you can have somebody that is a good all. Wow, they are super honest, but they're super incapable of doing that thing. They don't have the competency, so you shouldn't trust them in that task or in that metron of influence. So we begin to see that trust is actually needing to be defined by wisdom, and there needs to be a process that we go through to define what trust looks like. Sometimes we'll say things like, hey, we, we should just all trust each other more. Here's our goal is we just gotta rebuild trust. And well, what I would propose is rather than trying to rebuild trust, first, we build trustworthiness in ourselves and trust will follow trustworthiness. Amen. That's good. This is the responsibility of the individual to express transformation and be shaped in the integrity of godliness. And trust comes when I've gone through a transformative process and I'm expressing godliness now. And you can trust God and you can trust God in me, but you should not trust the brokenness of my humanity. You should love the brokenness of my humanity, but you should not trust it. Isn't that exciting? So recognizing and discerning somebody's incapabilities, uh, shortcomings, their flaws, their errors, their weaknesses, this doesn't give us permission to destroy, to judge, to cut off and sever, but what it does is it actually informs us on how we should trust them, 
Uh, and in that informative process, you're seeking God on what the wisdom looks like. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So we understand that we're not defining, uh, we're not interpreting somebody's trustworthiness just by our own opinion. Oh, you know what? That person, they make me feel really good. You know? When I spend time with them, I feel like a million bucks. Because what you actually might be doing is you might be learning to trust the words of man, but not accurately measuring the behavior of man. Words can be misleading, they can be deceiving, they can be, they can be drenched in charm. It could be a forked tongue, a silver tongue, say one thing to you to appease you and make you happy, and then turn around and stab you in the back. So words are not the only thing we're measuring when it, come, when it comes to us finding wisdom on whether or not somebody is trustworthy in a particular thing or not. We're also measuring behavior, the fruit of their life. Remember what Jesus said? He says, if any of you say you love me and you hate your enemy, then this is just a lie, right? If any of you says you love me and you don't do my commandments, all throughout John talks about this. If you don't do my commandments and you say you love me, this is actually a lie. Because the, the evidence of love will be seen in the fruit of someone's life. We've got to understand this about our behavior. And you can see in Titus 1.9 it says, He must hold firm to trustworthy word as taught. Trustworthy word. So the word of God is trustworthy. What it says, its nature, its character, it's trustworthy. And we ought to hold firm to that thing. And the firmness is, is necessary because you know how easy it is? For us to let loose or let go of the words of God and begin to live by the words of others, it's extremely easy. It's almost default. So you've got to be intentional to hold firm to the words of God. Not the words of man, the words of God. Amen. And so it says, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict him. So... So it's the word of God, and then it's being taught by people, and it's actually correcting us as well. So the word of God is to be trusted. God is to be trusted, like I said at the beginning. And then his words are supposed to create behavior in us so that we then can cultivate trustworthiness because we have removed the behavior that is unlike God and that we have aligned ourselves in the behavior that is like God. Thus, I have just grown in my ability for you to trust me. Are you guys trying to me on this right now? Are you? I want you to closely follow this thing. As our trustworthiness grows, as our character is reflective of Jesus more and more. And this is the reality of our life. As Titus 3 says, it is the same as trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Devote themselves to good works because in, in terms of community and church family, is we're going to love everybody, right? But you might have some folks that lack character in this place. So if because they're a Christian or believer, you're like, well, I guess i got to trust them because they're a Christian. I would say, no, 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 that's not wise and that's not accurate to the individual. Remember what I said at the beginning? It said, it said in uh, John 2, 23, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. So you can have a believer that isn't trustworthy. You can have a Christian sitting in this room right now, and they can have all kinds of patterns that are untrustworthy, all kinds of traits that are untrustworthy. You should recognize them. 
It's not being a good and a better Christian to go like, hey, everything's hunky-dory. And we gloss over all of the broken traits, all of the brokenness, and just go, well, we're a Christian. We're called to love, so here's my savings account. Here's my routing number and my account number. The reality of our Christian family existence is that if we don't have our eyes wide open to someone's trustworthiness and someone's untrustworthiness, then we aren't partnering with the wisdom of heaven. Now what you do with that wisdom, what you do with that insight is really important. If you take it and you use it to destroy or to condemn, well then they've stepped away from the heart of God which is to reconcile, which is to heal, which is to love. So your discernment should not lead you to dismantle and destroy. Your discernment should lead you to speak the truth and love so that we all grow into Christ which is the head. Ephesians 4. Yeah. What do you do with your awareness of somebody's brokenness and their untrustworthy traits? Well, you should carry it with love and truthfulness. Okay, so if we move on to understand in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 17, we're not going to cover all of it, but we're going to get to see a little bit of how this picture looks of community and the traits that are untrustworthy and the traits that are trustworthy and what to do. Okay, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. An untrustworthy individual, one that has many traits that are damaging and abusive and challenging, it's a a difficulty in relationship. And for sure there's going to be people in our church family uh, that will have challenging traits that aren't currently trustworthy. And so what do we do about that? Uh, We don't gloss over it. We already covered that. Um, And so what do we do about when somebody has traits that are not trustworthy? Okay, you see here, it's going to be difficult and it's a challenge. We're navigating challenging relationships that require process, that require continuous forgiveness and love, but also wisdom to define trusting relationships, how it looks, what are the operations here? And it says in verse 2, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the same, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And this next slide's always been a challenge for you, but it says, avoid such people. So here's the challenging thing I see in church family. Is that when somebody has these traits and they're expressing them, many times the operation system of the community, the IOS of the community is that you don't say anything, everybody knows it, no one says anything, right? And oftentimes this is how it goes. And, and oftentimes somebody's nakedness is before everybody in terms of their sin and their, their everybody knows it. And oftentimes the, the operation of the community is that mom is the word and you just operate around them. You just move around them. You don't say anything. And this is a challenge, because when you're talking about a community that's trying to grow, and individuals that are trying to grow, 
How do you relate to somebody that carries a, a plethora or maybe a few problematic, untrustworthy traits is that you actually need to partner with them in transformation. If we bought into this narrative, which is an absolute lie, it's not biblical, that people don't change. I want to encourage you to challenge. If you believe this in your life because you have measured that behavior, people just don't change. And then equally, you're like, hey, uh, at a certain age, for sure, you hit, I've heard that, you know, past 35, you are who you are for the rest of your life. So I'm 34, so I got another year, apparently, in that thesis, in that theory, where I can still change according to that theory. But I'm going to tell you this right now. That is not a biblical concept of precepts. Amen. So when it comes to us identifying and discerning where somebody is untrustworthy and trustworthy, it's never meant to be a tattoo that they carry for the rest of their life. Amen. What we must do is, just like Jesus, we must have an up-to-date and a current a willingness to get a current read on whether or not they're grown in their trustworthiness in that area. Look at what he did with Peter, Jesus. One line he's going, hey, upon that rock, that revelation that I am the Son of God, your heaven, my Heavenly Father revealed that to you. So upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. Revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's, at one moment, Peter apparently has a moment where he shows that his words are trustworthy. Hang on now, because it's not quite going to always be current for Peter, because very soon he goes and says to Jesus, no, you're not going to die on the cross, even though you're saying this. No, far be for me, that's not going to happen. And what does Jesus say at that point? Hey, get behind me, say that you are more mindful of the things of man than you are the things of God. So Jesus is current. Peter went from being trustworthy in his words and in his revelation of what Jesus was and who he was and what he was doing. And then he went from being trustworthy to being untrustworthy in his conclusions about who Jesus was and what he was supposed to be doing. And that's not even the end of Jesus staying current on where Peter was at because then he tells Peter he's going to betray him three times. And that's not even the most current where Peter was at. Once Jesus, before Jesus ascends to heaven, he has a conversation with Peter, which he's telling him, do you love me? Like three different times, mirroring the amount of times that he, been, he denied Jesus, right? He says, do you love me? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. And he has this conversation with him, restoring Peter, right? And so you see that Jesus acts and behaves in a very current way that is accurate to where Peter's actually at. So if Peter was just going to be treated as he was, then Jesus would have been like, well, you had a revelation of me from Father, and now you're telling me not to die on the cross. So based on your history, I should believe what you're saying. But we can't just judge somebody's trustworthiness or untrustworthiness by their history. It must be current. It must be discerning the heart of God. It must be discerning what is true in God's heart. And it must be discerning what is God's wisdom. So that you can get an accurate read on whether somebody in that moment, in that time, has grown, has regressed, has receded, has broken through. This is where Corinthians talks about that it would desire that all of us would prophesy. Why? Because it wants all of us to become mindful and aware of what God's insight is to people's lives. To their past, to their present, and to their future. 
Because if we can operate with this revelation of God for others' lives, then we can be accurate in our trust relationships. Because to the degree that you, and to the degree that I, and we're reflective and expressive of God's nature, that's the degree of trust we should have. You see, this appearance of godliness is not sufficient. We shouldn't just trust somebody that looks good and plays the Christian part. We shouldn't just elevate somebody that appears to have the form of godliness. Because when you have the form of godliness but you forsake its power, there is a real violation of trust that takes place. So acting the part or faking it until you make it this is not a biblical expression. It really is. And then so sometimes we lend to these human ideas and traditions and wisdom. And it's like, well, oh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And we start to lend to these things, but they're, they're really not biblical terms. They're really not seeing somebody through the prism of God's wisdom to identify whether they're trustworthy like God or untrustworthy unlike God. When we, when, we, when we lean on human understanding, we fail to express godliness. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge it, and he will direct your path. So when it comes to identifying true terms of trust and measurements of trustworthiness, this isn't something that should be done in your feelings. This should, isn't something that should simply be done in your emotions, in your anger, in your bitterness. In fact, I would recommend that you don't allow your humanity to find your assessments of trustworthiness, but you allow God to shape your perspectives of trustworthiness. For some of us, we trust uh, in the words of people too much. We trust if if they're persuasive and they say it with a, a rhyme, then we trust them, you know? If it has a good cadence to them, then we trust them. If they seem good, then we trust them, you know? And sometimes it's just so easy to just give somebody our trust because our emotions said, oh, we can trust them. But this isn't allowing our trust uh, terms to be determined through wisdom. It's actually allowing ourselves to be led astray by foolish assessments of somebody's trustworthiness. Your emotions and my emotions cannot dictate terms of trustworthiness or terms of trust. We must allow a process with God, with the Holy Spirit, to actually uh, make it clear, make it crystal clear, give us wisdom on how to operate this thing. For example, if you believe an old God can't be taught new tricks or somebody can't change, then you're actually not believing in Romans 12 too, which says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So if you and I believe this lie that humanity says that people just don't change, then we actually don't believe that God can change us. And if we don't believe that God can change us, what are we doing worshiping? So we we have these moments where we realize that our lips are honoring God, but perhaps our hearts are far apart. Do we trust God? Do we trust God with people? Do we trust God with our process? Do we trust God to transform us? Do we trust God with our fears? Do we trust God with our abandonment stuff? Do we trust God with our rejection things? With our fear of pain and punishment? Do we trust God with our futures? Do we trust God? Right? This is the foundation of all of it. 
Do we trust God that he's got the capacity to transform us? Look, it's not on our timing, that's for sure. Right? We can't make it happen on our own power, on our own timing, not in our life and not in others' lives. We are deeply reliant upon God transforming us. Deeply. We're codependent in this thing. We can't independently express godliness. That's the most amazing part about God, is he calls us to be like him and gives us the ability to do it. So I believe this can truly shape the way we approach ourselves and the way we approach others. Someone may not be trustworthy right now, but pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will fill them. In what way can they be trusted? In what way can they not be trusted? And how are you measuring them? Have you truly seen into that space of their life or are you doing it out of anger and hurt? Are you allowing your brokenness and your inability to recognize these things to dictate how you're judging somebody else? Paul says this thing that I think is, is great. In verse 10, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch and such. So Paul then just, what does he do right there? He just unravels his resume of trustworthiness. And he doesn't just say, hey, believe me because I'm a good person, I promise. Just take my word for it. No, he says, you've actually observed me in my teachings. You've seen it. You've observed it. So you have behavioral evidence that points to trustworthy traits. You've also seen it in my conduct. You've seen it in my ambitions or my aim in life. You've seen these behaviors. You've seen the resume of trustworthiness. You've seen it in my patience. You've seen it in my love. You've seen it in my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. So even Paul didn't just ask for some kind of, oh, trust me, we don't trust me for anything I've done. No, he said, look, it's okay. You can actually take a look at my life, you can discern my behavior, and you can determine whether or not I am trustworthy according to these measurements. And it's not just his words, although his words didn't matter because he says my teachings. But it goes beyond just words, right? It's my conduct. And not just my conduct in good seasons, but also my steadfastness, my ability to endure and have long suffering. So he points to these things, and when we're experiencing one another, it's not wrong for us to discern each other's inability to be like Christ. It's not wrong for us to discern each other's untrustworthiness, because a person may be trustworthy here, but then you're experiencing life with them, and you realize they struggle to express godliness right here. And that's not a bad thing to see. That's not a bad thing to discern. Now, when we, when we cross over into judging someone is when we begin to condemn them and give them a guilty verdict and sentence for what you are observing. See, this judgment thing happens when we actually go, I see your behavior in sin, and I condemn you. You are guilty. See, that's judgment. But discernment is, is I see your sin. And I don't move to condemnation. I move to partner with Jesus in repentance, in transformation, in reconciliation, in reformation. See, it's the heart of God that all would be saved. That all would be saved. But that means that some are lost. Some haven't yet been saved. And 
it's not wrong for us to identify that, to discern that, and to see that, and to pray for salvation. To recognize somebody's untrustworthiness or their humanity is not disqualifying love. In fact, it's actually a true invitation to a greater love. Amen. Amen. So Jesus has perfect love, not only because it's never failing, but also it's not ignorant. Jesus was never like, oh, I loved you, but until I found out that thing, and now I really got to go through a process of loving you. He's fully aware and fully loving. So he lacks no truth and he lacks no love. So when you and I become more truthfully aware of somebody in our life, it's actually another love test for us to deepen our understanding and our expression of love towards that person to be more like Christ's. Essentially, every bit of nakedness and diseased character that you find in somebody is going to be a test of your love to deepen or to shrink back. I find the things that are the most hard for us to love people in are the things that have hurt us in the past. To abuse us, that have abused us in the past, that have taken advantage of us in the past. And so how important it is for us to experience people that have untrustworthy characteristics and traits and go through two processes. One, a process of love and forgiveness. Forgive, 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 forgive. And then after six months of doing it, you still hate them? Guess what? Forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Trust me, it gets old. Forgive, forgive, forgive. It gets really, really old and irritating. It's inconvenient. It's going to be frustrating as heck. But forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. Forgive, forgive, forgive. And you go through the process over and over again. You ask God to fill you with love because you don't have it. You ask God to remove hate because that's all you got. You ask God to uproot roots of bitterness because that's all you got. You've been protecting that little garden that has roots of bitterness all over the place. And so you say, God, listen, I'm not going to use these things as my protectors anymore. So what I'm going to do to you and what I'm going to ask you to do in my life, because I want to trust, according to trustworthiness, this is wisdom, this is your heart. This is how you see things. So my bitterness, my rage, my anger is actually going to be incredibly inconvenient to this process. It's actually going to be destructive to my ability to be able to see food. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.